1: From KQED.
2: I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome to Forum. For many Democrats, Donald Trump's border wall became a symbol for everything that they disliked about the man, his politics, and his administration. Leaving aside the fact that there were fences or walls along big chunks of the border before Trump, the Biden administration has not exactly dismantled Trump's immigration policies or procedures. What Biden has done is move away from a physical barrier and towards a more virtual one, including ever heavier surveillance by drone, sensor, and smart camera. Is that better? Is it worse? Does it work? We'll talk with an investigative reporter who's been digging into the militarized border's digital defenses, and then, We'll talk about the ongoing construction of the beloved Bay and Bay Ridge trails. That's all next on Forum after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. President Joe Biden stopped construction on Trump's signature wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. But his budget asked for more than a billion dollars for infrastructure, including dollars, to bolster the smart wall increasingly reliant on surveillance tech, which backers in Congress have called an effective and humane approach. But critics say the use of facial recognition software, license plate, readers, ground sensors and mobile surveillance towers that send alerts to border agents are part of an increasingly militarized border that drives migrants to deadlier paths and imperils the privacy rights of residents near the border. Joining us to talk about the politics and technology of the virtual wall is Erica Hellerstein, an Oakland-based reporter with the largely European publication Coda. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
2: So, Erica, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the current situation along the border? I mean, you rode along with border agents and humanitarian groups. What did the Border Patrol tell you about the surveillance operations that they're running there?
1: Yeah, so I rode along with a border patrol agent in Nogales, Arizona, right along the border. Um, and from his perspective, the technologies that they're using um, which include these surveillance towers that you mentioned are hugely important. Um, and he said they make up one of the core aspects of their border enforcement. Um, so they're very enthusiastic about these technologies and how they can you know, help them in their immigration enforcement strategy.
2: So when we talk about a surveillance tower like this, um, what are we, What what's it look like? And what do we know about the technology that's actually on the tower?
1: Yeah. So the towers, I mean, you could be driving through some of these parts of, you know, the border area um, and you might not know what they are. Um, they're about 160 feet tall. Uh, these are the stationary towers. Um, and they look like just these kind of like weird alien-like phone structures, you know, uh, they're uh, outfitted with infrared and daytime cameras and radar sensors and the cameras and sensors are have a range of about seven miles. Um, and border patrol officials told me there are about 48 of these spread out across the southwest border. Yeah. Um, and so at any moment you know driving through Arizona um, in the border zone, I, I saw you know these really, really tall towers. There's also mobile versions of these that are, Um, much shorter that are attached to trucks um, and the trucks will like park at some point in the desert as well. And they have the same capabilities.
2: And there's also, you know, aside from the towers, right, uh, spread along the border. There's different sensors, right? How many of those are there and what do they do?
1: Yeah. So there's about, I think at this point, according to Border Patrol, roughly 20,000 spread throughout the southwest border. And these are underground sensors. Um, and they basically will send alerts to border patrol agents and control rooms and when they detect motion on the ground. Um, and so you can't see them if you're walking through the desert, but you might set one off. Um, and I actually think I set one off when I was doing my reporting. I was riding around um, Southern Arizona in the desert with a humanitarian organization um, and we were in a truck and all of a sudden we were just in the middle of nowhere and a border patrol official drove up to us and was like what are you doing here um, mm. and told us we had tripped up a sensor
2: so where did this system come from is this another sort of result of 9-11 and the sort of surveillance technologies that went into place there or is this a kind of a new system that developed uh, recently
1: it's definitely, you know, it's an old system. Um, something I found really interesting while I was reporting this story was that it had roots in the Vietnam War. And there were actually this, these ground sensors that were used during in the jungles of Vietnam to track the Viet Cong. And then after the war, um, they were repurposed and brought to the border, I think, in 1975. So it dates back a long time, the sort of steady buildup of technology along the border. And then you start to see it um, really ramp up in the late 90s, 2000s. Um, in 2006, you get a contract for the construction of a, many of these mobile surveillance towers um, and stationary towers that I was just mentioning. And ever since then, you've just kind of seen a steady increase in investment and support for this kind of technology. So the roots um, are really go back you know, to the military. Um, and it's been a buildup for many, many years.
2: It's also interesting because the wall of course became charged with all of the political energy of our time as this sort of symbol of either pro-trumpness or or anti-trumpness but it sounds to me like the virtual wall in fact has had broad bipartisan backing for for decades and and continues to have it
1: yeah i thought that was a really interesting part in in reporting this story and just learning a little bit more about it um is exactly that that the wall you know really became this symbol particularly during Um, Trump's campaign in 2016 and so partisan and so divisive, but the virtual wall just doesn't really seem to generate or the idea of a virtual wall just doesn't really seem to generate the same level of outrage or political partisanship at all. Um, And you actually have, you know, leading Democrats supporting the kind of technology, what you might call smart border tech as a more efficient, cost-effective and what they say, humane alternative to putting up this big physical barrier. Um, And, you know, I think back to an op-ed that Congressman James Clyburn wrote, I think, in around 2019, and he was really driving this point home. And he was saying, like, these practices advance justice and mercy everywhere. So I think you've really seen this framing that, um, you know, a technology-enforced border could be more humane than this big border wall that you know, Trump had really been speaking so enthusiastically about during his, during and after his campaign.
2: You know, the last time I really checked in on border surveillance technologies, you know, it was, it was actually quite a while ago, some some years ago. And the reason was that the government actually had pulled back funding for some of these virtual wall technologies, not because there wasn't support for the idea of them, but because I think it was Janet Napolitano said that the systems were not meeting current standards for viability and cost effectiveness. And I guess the, the big question is, for me, has that changed? Did these technologies actually work for the kind of stated purpose of stopping unauthorized entry into the U.S.?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a really interesting part of this, too, is exactly what you said. She, they rolled it back. And I think this was in 20, uh 2011, maybe. And one of the main points that they raised um, when they said, you know, we're getting rid of this program is what really stood out to me was these ground sensors I was talking about. You know, they're scattered throughout, underneath the ground throughout the southwest border, but they said, you know, we don't think that these can distinguish between the footsteps, footsteps of an animal or a human. And that's actually pretty important because there are animals in that area. Um, But then a few years later, um, in 2014, a defense contractor got a big contract to build more of these surveillance towers. There's been questions raised about just how effective these technologies are. Um, And there's a report that really stood out to me um, that was a government report that said that, you know, these drones um, that we haven't talked about, but they're, you know, these drones with cameras They cost over $12,000 an hour to operate, but they actually deliver less than 2% of all border apprehensions. Um, This was a Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General report. And they were saying, basically, we don't see any evidence that these drones with these surveillance capabilities contribute to a more secure border. So there's been a lot of money invested, but there's not really that much evidence that they've been that successful in their stated goal.
2: We're talking about high-tech border surveillance with Erica Hellerstein, senior reporter at Coda Story. And we want to hear from you. Do you think a virtual border is more humane than a physical wall? Or how should our border work? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook where we're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. So, um, how there are a lot of humanitarian groups that work along the border, um, trying to save people's lives as they're they're coming across from Mexico into various uh, states in the United States. You also uh, rode along with them, and what do they say about the effect that these surveillance technologies have on the the people that they're serving?
1: Yeah, this is actually kind of what got me really interested in the story. It was after I learned about you know that in. President Biden's proposed budget, he was asking for all this money to develop some of these technologies. I started calling people because I wanted to learn more about them and their effectiveness and what people thought of them. And so I did start calling some of these humanitarian groups. And really, what they do is they go into the desert and they search for people who have been reported to have disappeared while crossing over. So maybe it's a family member who calls or a partner, or someone who says, you know, my cousin disappeared about a week ago. Can you find him? This is the last known place he was. They also work to recover the remains of migrants who died while they were there and tried to identify them and then alert their family members back at home. And so I thought they would have like a pretty interesting lens into, you know, they're really close on the ground um, into what these technologies do. But I wasn't sure if they would have a strong opinion about them just because of the work that they're doing. Um, and when I called, I called a few of these groups and they were so adamant um, about, you know, their belief that the technology was driving people into more dangerous routes th- through the desert. And that was something that really surprised me um, is like the first thing someone said to me when I asked him about the technology was it's killing people. Um, and I wasn't expecting that forceful of a reaction Um, And so their position is basically you have these towers and ground sensors scattered throughout the border region in the desert and coyotes who are, you know, responsible for bringing people across the border have adapted and learned that they're there. So maybe they're taking people in, you know, one route through the desert and all of a sudden they're in a really remote area and border patrol shows up. They might think, okay, there might be a camera around here. There might be some ground sensors there might be a surveillance tower that detected us. So let's change our route and go even deeper into the desert or over a mountain where it's less likely to have this technology. Um, And the groups will say, because people are going into these more and more remote areas, they have a greater risk of being exposed to dehydration and exhaustion and basically to die. Um, And I did, you know, once I called a humanitarian up and he said, I just got off the phone with someone who told me he was crossing over, saw a surveillance tower, and moved into a much, much deeper um, and more treacherous route through the desert. So their position is really that this is just an extra deterrent um, that's putting people into more dangerous paths. And Border Patrol will basically say the same thing. Um, when I was in the ride, they just think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in the ride along with an agent, he was like, "Yeah, it's you know, it's it's pushing people into more remote areas." Yeah.
2: We're talking about high-tech border surveillance with Erica Hellerstein, senior reporter at CODA. Story, have you had experience with surveillance at the border? And how do you think the Biden administration is approaching border security so far? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera,
2: I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about high-tech border surveillance with Erica Hellerstein, a senior reporter at Coda Story. And I do want to take seriously the idea that maybe a virtual wall is better in some ways. Were there what were the arguments you saw in favor of the virtual wall rather than an actual physical wall?
1: Well, you know, you have certain environmental groups who will say, or or environmentalists who will say, you know, the physical wall actually um, had a big impact in terms of just conservation and, you know, putting up this barrier. And so it's better to have a, you know, a virtual system. It doesn't have the same ecological and environmental impacts. Um, And then, you know, some people are generally not as, um, you know, people who want to see more enforcement they like the idea that technology um, is just an additional set of eyes on the border. So the border patrol agent said basically like this frees up more, you know, more people, uh, more agents now that we have this camera here to go to other more remote areas. And so, you know, they'll say it is effective and it is working. Um, And I think some people still think of the wall as much more, um, maybe if you're opposed to the wall, you might think of it as, you know, just this, really harsh constructed barrier, Um, and maybe the virtual wall um, and using technology just isn't as disturbing. Um, Maybe people don't have the same types of privacy concerns that some of the privacy groups have as well. So I think it really just comes down to, you know, your perception of some of the uh, digital issues. Um, And if you're concerned that, you know, there's like a camera that's scanning this region, I think those are sort of some of the arguments more in support of the system and that it costs less money to build. Um, That's certainly something that some people have talked about as well.
2: I mean, how would the humanitarian groups like the border to work?
1: It's a great question. Um, I think that there's different groups that definitely have different opinions about it. I mean, some people might say, just let's uh, ramp up our asylum system. A lot of the people who are crossing over might be asylum seekers. They're backlog. Um, so if we make that system more effective, uh, it would reduce the number of border crossings. But I mean, I'm I wasn't really reporting on you know the ideal scenario for humanitarian groups, um, but. You know, people have really different opinions about, like, what kind of system should be in place. I think you'll definitely hear people talk a lot about reforming our asylum system as a starting point.
2: Let's bring in Michael from Oakland into our conversation. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Uh, Yeah, so you just touched on it a moment ago. But to
3: to flesh out the environmental concerns, uh, I mean, when Trump was building a, a physical wall in parts of the border, they were literally destroying, like uh, dynamiting uh, ancient cliff faces and mountain ranges that were just absolute treasures. That now, I mean, we can never undo the damage that was done trying to build this stupid wall. Um, additionally, uh, using a virtual wall rather than a physical wall allows migratory animals to get back and forth during their ranges, which is very important for their survival, especially for endangered species. And also it allows farmers uh, who have, you know, traditional property lines that don't match the border as such to move their animals back and forth and let them graze. So, I mean, there's all kinds of advantage in those regards. And the the problems that uh, your reporter is raising around humanitarian groups being worried that uh, migrants are going to move into more dangerous areas. Of course, if you put a physical wall up in that same place, you have the same problems. That's not really anything particularly against the technology. It's just something against having any kind of border at all, basically.
2: Yeah. And yeah. thank you for that, uh, Michael, expansion on the environmental side. I, I think, you know, Erica, it's worth thinking about the now the reverse you know is the virtual wall are there ways in which it might be worse than a physical wall particularly i I would like to note for americans living down near the border
1: yeah so exactly um i think that you know your caller raised a point of the ecological um the Benefits, you know, people see to having a virtual system, and it's true that you know you put a wall in the middle of a desert or a virtual wall, it's going to have humanitarian implications, um, no matter what the wall looks like. The other thing to think about is privacy. Um, the you know if you live in the border region and you live amongst these cameras or these um, license plate readers, every time you have to drive through, you know, an internal checkpoint to get from point A to point B, or you're crossing over the port of entry and they're using facial recognition cameras. There's drones flying overhead with facial recognition capacities. It is important for people to start thinking about the privacy implications of all that. Um, And so, and people have different perspectives. Some people don't mind that. Some people do. I went to Arivaca, which is a town um, right on the border in Southwest Arizona as well, and it's an interesting place because there's just a lot of these towers and these these ground sensors and technologies. Um, and it's something that residents have strong opinions on. Uh, I talked to one person who said she feels like she's always in a panopticon, like under watch, Um, and, you know, it makes her question how she's moving around town, Um, and then I talked to someone else who didn't really mind it, but it is, you know, this type of data collection is, you know, very vast in these areas, Um, and there's concern from privacy advocates about really what that means for anybody living in the border zone. Um, And then that this is a system that could end up migrating, to use the term, away from just the border area, more into the U.S. And a lot of people who are concerned about privacy will talk about a headline story that came out during the George Floyd protests. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers coming across these headlines that CBP um, dispatched drones to more than a dozen cities in the U.S. during these protests, um, you know, Philadelphia, New York, and they logged almost 300 hours of video footage. Um, and then they put it into like a digital network, DHS managed it and local police departments could access it. And so if you're concerned about privacy and you're concerned about this, this type of um, surveillance system moving away from the border, I mean, people use that as an example of, look, why were these CVP drones in Philadelphia flying over us and logging all this video footage that police departments could access. And Um, probably
2: sucking up phone IDs as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Well, and you can even see, you know, if you just trace the path, you're sort of like military to the border patrol, border patrol deployed internally. And then that data going to like local police departments, like it was already bad enough that there was a pipeline of technologies going directly from the military to police departments in, in my view. And now you've got sort of another route to sort of launder some of these surveillance technologies into our, into our law enforcement.
1: I thought that was one of the most interesting, like through lines of the reporting to kind of chart that evolution and to think about what the, yeah, that system that goes from military to border to law enforcement and, and, what could be next? And just, um, yeah, thinking thinking about that, for me, it was really, really an interesting piece of this story yeah. um, that I don't think has gotten as much attention.
2: Last question. Is there anyone in Congress who is pushing back on the kind of surveillance dragnet that exists along the border? Or is it really everyone has kind of agreed this is the, the way this this bipartisan compromise is going to settle here?
1: Uh, I'm sure those voices exist. Um, I haven't seen anyone lately put out any sort of like statement about it. Um, but I know, I do remember that after the uh, the uh, George Floyd protests uh, story came out, um, there were some uh, Congress people who talked about it and called on the Trump administration to explain it. But I think that was like a very partisan politicized um, response, obviously. And it will be interesting to see, you know, as, as the Biden proposed budget moves forward, as infrastructure moves forward, where there's been also some requests for funding for just border infrastructure more generally that could include technology, to see how this um, issue comes up um, and how Democrats talk about it and what divisions arise. Um, I'm very curious to follow how, how Congress people are going to talk about this moving forward.
2: Thanks so much. We've been talking with high, about high-tech border surveillance with Erica Hellerstein, a senior reporter at Coda Story. Thank you, and we'll be right back with another segment of Forum.